Welcome to Fintech Insider. It's TransferWise Takeover, coming to you live from TransferWise's office in Shoreditch High Street. I'm Jason Bates. Today I'm joined by my colleague Simon Taylor. Hello. And the overworked and underhyped Eleven Media team. Say hi, guys. <laughs> that was particularly underwhelming. We're really going to have to work on your uh, your public image. But of course, today we've got four members of the TransferWise team, well and truly outnumbered. Uh, with us, we have Eric Edin. Hello. Hey there. Why don't you tell us in a couple of lines, who are you, what do you do? Yeah, my name is Eric. I'm a product manager in the business team at TransferWise, and I help businesses send money abroad really easily. Wow, that's like well-practiced. That's like little elevator pitch. L- loving it. Uh, Helena Jaramillo, product designer. Yeah. So my name is Helena, I'm a product designer, and I specifically focus on first-time customer experiences. Oh, wow, interesting. I'm sure we'll get into that. Uh, Jeremy Butner, Borderless Banking Lead. Hi, yes, so um, I look after our new product, Borderless, and I basically work with banks and partners to set up the Borderless uh, product around the world. Excellent. And Steve Norday, uh, Head of Middle East and Africa Banking. Yes, hi. So I look after bringing the TransWise experience to new customers in Middle East and Africa region. Wow. Great panel. Thanks for, thanks for joining us. So uh, let's get on with the show. So thanks for joining us, guys. Uh, for those people, the few people on the planet who haven't heard of you, uh, who are TransferWise? What do you do? Who wants to take that? I can go ahead. Uh, so TransferWise is a financial company that makes it really easy and convenient and transparent to send money uh, to anywhere in the world, really. And who is, is they? Who sends money typically? So it can be anyone. It can be an expat or you might be living abroad. You might be traveling. Uh, you need to send some money back home to your family or maybe you're a small business looking to um, move money between accounts. Uh, loads of reasons. Guess want to add something to that? Yeah, it can be expats, it can be retirees, you know, anyone that really has uh, the need to send money internationally. So whether they live or work internationally, uh, it's really anyone that has the need for, for kind of international money transfers that we try and serve. And why do people come to you instead of going to their bank? Is there a, is there a differentiation there, perhaps? Sure, yeah, we're <laughs> definitely uh, the fairest and the easiest way to send money abroad. You can also save loads of money by sending money with TransferWise. So how did it work before you guys came along? So I think before companies like TransferWise came along, um, the banks were your way of sending money internationally. Um, You would go to your bank, either online or to the branch, you'd pay hefty SWIFT fees and international money transfer fees, um, as well as get a really bad exchange rate from your bank. You sometimes three, four, five or more percent in a hidden exchange rate that the consumer wouldn't necessarily see, but it was the only way to do it really. And this is what we're aiming to change is to bring this fairness, transparency, uh, much lower pricing to the market um, and really enable customers to send money much more easily. So to add to that as well, so if you actually go into the website or the app, um, you know, you'll see the rate that you actually see on Google. And then, you know, we're very transparent about what the customer actually gets and what comes out at the end. And so then we'll be very transparent about here is the fee and here's the exchange that you'll get. And so customers always know, and there's no bad surprises at the end, you know, when they do receive the money. Break down your customers for me. You mentioned there were some corporates. You mentioned there were some consumers. Like, what's the kind of split of your customer base? And because and, I'm imagining somebody goes to your website when they want to move money around the world, but who? What's the profile of that person or people or groups of people? So traditionally, we've been a very consumer-focused company. Right? That's where our roots are, and that's kind of the first problem that our founders had was how do you send money between 
you know, you're moving, moving money from the UK back to Estonia or the other way around. And then gradually we've kind of expanded from that core base into more markets, you know, away from just the UK and from Europe, but also into new types of customers. So not just uh, consumers anymore, but also freelancers, small businesses. And now with our API, uh, we also can serve very large businesses that need to send money abroad. So um, apart from the banks, there was obviously quite a few competitors before you. You know, Western Union seems to be like the big giant and um, who has been all over this space for a very long time. How do they differ from the banks and from you? So like, how does this, this work? Yeah, I mean, so Western Union operate a relatively similar type of business, of course, but uh, they still hide a fee in a bad exchange rate. quite a hefty fee as well as well as charging a a transaction fee on top you know the markup that they can put on an exchange rate is is very similar to a bank and the consumer like we said doesn't always see that up front doesn't always understand how to calculate that so one of the we're called fintech insider so i'm going to geek out for a second one of the (laughs) one of the things that um so i have some friends that uh work in fx for banking and i think one of the challenges with banking is the the amount of cost of moving money around the world is typically not just um some let's face it slightly older systems that that need a little bit of oil and elbow grease to get them moving but it's also uh, the fact that taking risks of having relationships with lots of banks around the world and those banks are having to do customer due diligence and know your customer type stuff so checking your passport checking that this really is a proper person that they're they're not going to commit some crime with it that the source of funds haven't come from some some negative activity Whereas you guys obviously are offering much lower fees, is the aim that you're driven by technology so that you're able to offer something? Like, what's the driver there? What's the thing you guys have got that allows you to be different to those organizations? Because I'm trying to drive at why why has it been the same way for so long? So I think, yes, clearly the tech platform we've built from scratch over the last six years. It's a super cool platform. We have a team of absolute geniuses in product and engineering who like can automate stuff that I didn't even know was possible to automate, right? So there's a lot of work going into that space as well. Um, On the other side, I think part of the reason it's always been so expensive as well is because banks have been charging this because they could. It's traditionally been a very uncompetitive space with consumers not necessarily understanding the charges they're paying or believing it's the only option. And that's another reason for why fees have been so high is that they can charge this. And there's, there's a really interesting report from, I think it's McKinsey, came out once a year, um, about how much it costs to move money around the world. And, and there they show that it costs a bank, right, to make a consumer payment $225 just to complete that one transaction, whereas our cost base is just way below that. And that's, as Steve said, thanks to automation and thanks to just a new tech stack that allows us to move a lot more nimbly. I read that uh, that actually the first couple of years in the company was were pretty slow in terms of trying to find traction and experimenting, and that at one point it was sort of ten million dollars a month in transactions. But almost through your relentless experimentation in sub segments, in marketing, in pushing through, that actually over that period you you know you really found a way of of penetrating what some would say was a you know pretty competitive market already. I know we've spoken to quite a few banks. We're talking about other takeovers that we've done before, and they talk about banks being a technology company. And I'm interested, are you a technology company? Are you a financial services company? Are you a marketing company? How do you define TransferWise? I think we define ourselves as a financial company. You know, we are in the service of moving money around the world as, uh, as fast and as cheaply as possible. And the way we work is obviously, you know, we work with a lot of financial institutions as well. So I think 
the earlier points I was saying. So the other way how we are different to banks is, you know, we operate this network of uh, local banks. So we work with about 70 different banks around the world. And, you know, that allows us to, um, you know, move money very fast between those markets. And so that's really like a, you know, a big advantage for us and how we see ourselves as a financial company in that. So it's interesting, you stand on the shoulders of banks. Therefore, you're probably having to uh, deal with some of their slowness and uh, challenges as, as a technology. But at the same time, you guys have got a very different technology. I'm guessing there's been some challenges there that you've had to automate your way around. And how have you found um, delivering customer solutions and delivering them at scale? Um, and can you give me an example of any of those challenges and anything you're proud of that's hit the market that's, that's been forged through that sort of relationship? Uh, to me, the most impressive stuff uh, I think I'll touch on two things. So the FPS integration just shows when you make a really long-term commitment to having the best possible experience and actually integrating straight into the underlying rails, you can just do something really different. So that's on kind of the technology side. So that's the faster payment system in the UK. Yeah, exactly. And then what we've done in Singapore, where we have worked with the with the regulator to actually help them move forward their thinking about um, KYC and compliance and where we were among we essentially helped them enable online KYC yeah I think that's a really interesting point and so in a lot of markets where we, for example we send money to you know we are limited actually by the payment systems and by the speed of the payment systems locally so ultimately you're dependent on that and what's interesting is that you know we work with a number of countries for example in Thailand where we actually work with the banking partners to actually improve their technology to improve the payout speed and that really improves the customer experience. You know, you bring, you're able to bring down the speed from like three days to actually one day, and that benefits a lot of people. And that's really great to see. So I guess going back to the question on technology company, financial services and marketing, I guess you've talked about the first two, uh, that in the end, the tech stack lets you do some amazing things and that through the last six years, you've been building on that. Talk to me about marketing, because I think you're probably best known for, for really uh, penetrating the the, uh, the kind of background noise with some crazy stunts. Sure, so yeah, that was definitely part of what we were eager to do in the beginning as we needed people to learn more about us and to get our voice out there. Uh, one of the main things that we see is that for customers to start using us, they need to be aware of the problem. And the problem being that banks are overcharging you. So before customers can really know why they would want to use us, they need to know what what's currently happening to them. So. Um, yeah, at the beginning we were definitely doing these crazy stunts, trying to get our name out there. Now we're kind of focusing more on talking about what those hidden fees are, how much people are overpaying, and really trying to educate people. So there's a, a, a maturing, I guess, that, you know, one, do some crazy stunts so you people start to notice you, but then when you're at a size, is TransferWise growing up? Sure, yeah, but we'd also still like to, you know, kind of maintain this disruptor status and we definitely uh, see that in ourselves and in the way that we run our company. A great example, right, is how we've, we've started doing price comparisons on our site. So we actually, we figured out that consumers weren't aware of how much they were paying. And it's a really hard thing to explain, like how much am I actually paying to my, to my bank or to TransWise and what's the right comparison? And we started collecting live data from I don't know how many there are now, but loads of banks on how, how much they're actually charging. So we could do a very fair, very transparent comparison against them. 
but I guess in the early days, and I guess I got to you know ask the question, you were I guess caught out a couple of times in in some queries about a lack of transparency of of actually pulling a price up that uh, that maybe didn't fairly represent the market and, and almost straw manning what everyone was offering as a deal versus versus you. Has that sort of changed the way you've marketed in any way? For example, now with our price comparison, we try to be as transparent as possible with that data, so much so that when the data lets us know that, for example, Western Union is cheaper than us, we'll let the customer know. Wow. And so how, how does that come about? Like, that's super transparent. Yeah, um, and that's definitely, you know, a decision that we have to make based on um, our values and transparency is definitely up there. So so what's the, the message that you're promoting in, in marketing now? If, if there was the, the one sentence that you're trying to get through, like, what is it? I think that that's, you know, part of it is transparency and educating our customers. At the same time now with Borderless and our new products, we're also, we're also trying to communicate a message of, you know, living in a borderless world um, and a message of inclusivity in that way. Yeah, I think in one sense it would be money without borders. So, you know, it's to help customers manage their money everywhere internationally and really not have to pay you know, exorbitant fees just because you happen to live in a different country and you're getting paid in different currency. How do you see the role of um, partnerships starting to play into that more and more? I've seen that you guys famously mentioned um, you know, have, have an API. We're in a market where we've talked about uh, PSD2, open banking, uh, CMA. A lot of people are concerned about how, what are the good these services going to look like. Well, actually, there are a number of banks I'm aware of that have partnered with uh, TransferWise and are using that API already as, as a way of doing FX rather than building their own foreign exchange capability. Do you see that as an avenue for, for growth for you guys? And do you think we'll see more of that sort of thing in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um the closer we can be to the to where consumers are, the better. So we want to be wherever you want to send money from, right? We want to be there. And so being integrated into banks uh, in a transparent and in a fair uh, way is definitely something we're looking at as an interesting avenue. And I think what's great, you know, so as we said earlier, we, we rely on a lot of banks to bring the product into market. But so what we're actually able to do now is that, you know, the product that we're building is actually pretty strong. And so if you're like a smaller bank and, you know, you don't have the capacity or the time to build those rails yourselves, you can come to TransferWise and actually, you know, use that service that is pretty convenient and that is fast. And so you can really leverage that platform that we've built over the last six, seven years. I was going to say exactly that thing, because while you might have Currency Cloud or Earthport or Ripple or a variety of ways of doing sort of behind the scenes integration, it seems that, you know, TransferWise has a great brand. People have heard of it. And therefore, it seems to be this synergy of I'm a small bank, I'm going to do this and I'm going to leverage you know, the fact that you do have a public facing brand rather than a behind the scenes remittance company. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, you know, really what we're going for. That um, public brand, the the name recognition of a Visa, a Western Union, a MasterCard, I guess that, that uh, kite mark of almost like you can trust this thing, it's going to be transparent, it's going to be low cost, seems like a, an interesting strategy for me. Um, so can you talk then a little bit about how you're going to um, support that with uh, more experimentation in the next couple of years? Because you guys have, like you said, launched a couple of products, probably worth talking about what some of those are, because you moved out of that consumer kind of base of remittances of like a person from in one country wants to send their relative in another country money to small business wants to move money around what are those products and what can you do with them 
Yes, I think uh, a great example. I was talking to uh, David Darmani, the CEO of Hotjar, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and and he was using our batch payments tool. So you upload a file and you make payments, and he, it's a very simple thing you'd think. But he said his um, um, CFO was saving one day a month, right, from just it being so much easier and thousands of euros every month. That's just straight to the bottom line for them, right? So really helping them power what's a completely remote company, a company without borders. It's great to be able to provide a service that helps them make that possible. The Financial Times guides you through complex issues. In divisive times, don't settle for black and white. When you need the full perspective, turn to FT.com. Become a subscriber today. Search for FT subscription. Fintech innovation is changing the way we bank, and the speed we deploy new customer experiences is vital. Onboarding the right fintech partners can take months. Do you have time to lose? Introducing the Innovation Acceleration Platform from Temenos. Test fintech solutions at speed with real data straight from the core banking system. With a yearly subscription, you can begin testing the same day and create new customer experiences in no time. For more details, visit marketplace.temenos.com. As a small business, I guess, you get to a stage where suddenly you're taking payments around the world, you're doing all kinds of international trade, and traditionally you'd go to HSBC, Citibank, one of the global players, because your little bank can't do things you know, elsewhere. Um, and I've heard you guys and Railsbank, I guess, both talk about this, you know, either network or this, uh, the ability to take, to uh, have account numbers and sort codes, IBANs, routing numbers. It really seems that global business uh, thing, especially for small growing business, is a, is a real opportunity. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it's such an underserved market. So if you're a small business trying to open up a US bank account today, you'll spend weeks, if not months, trying to get it done, and it's going to cost you a fortune. And the same if you're just looking to get a European IBAN. You know, if you don't have a lot of money to put in there, not that many banks will even have you. So with TransferWise, you'll get that in seconds. You know, you'll get a sort code, an IBAN, a US account number, and now Australia as well, and just a click of a button, right? So that's just something completely unheard of previously. Are customers using this today? That's live. You've got first people using the platform. And what sort of feedback are you hearing from them? And what profile? Is it, is it the startup-y side? Or is it you know, uh, flower companies? Is it, is it drainage companies? Like, is it, is it cross the segments? Drainage companies? I don't know. I was just trying to think <laughs> of something that was... drainage companies. I was just trying to think of something that wasn't tech. You know? <laughs> drainage is the future. <laughs> Drain tech. <laughs> well, freelancers love it. Uh, small businesses love it, but even larger companies, just the convenience of having everything in one place with an API, with all the tools, where everything works cross borders completely without friction, is something that we get a lot of attention for as well. The product as it is today only allows you to send and receive money. Um, so for small businesses or freelancers, it's great. If you're an individual consumer, obviously you want to be able to spend that money as well. So a lot of customers, you know, they're asking for the debit card. And it is coming. Um, <laughs> When's it coming? Well, soon. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that will enable a lot more use cases, especially for you know people that have those international lifestyles. So, banking license aside, like what is the like that essentially replaces a bank for a small business in terms of them bringing money in and then being able to spend it and send it to other places. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think like, like like Jeremy mentioned earlier, we're not trying to become a bank, right? License or not, we're not trying to take over the role of a bank, right? The product has evolved. This is almost now entering phase two of TransferWise, right? Um, improving, keeping the same direction in allowing the your money to be used, spent, to receive, to uh, pay internationally, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Yeah. Um, so we're not trying to take over the role of the banks. Banks have an incredibly useful place in society and they provide an awesome service to a very large number of people. Um, it's about focusing on our niche, which is international money and how it moves across borders and is held and spent across borders. And so how big is that niche? Um, because we see in fintech, people find their niche, they win at it, and then they, they're, they're trying to expand into what comes after that initial niche being carved. And there's always the risk of like, how do you get to profitability? How do you get that real last uh, large scale traction? And I guess that's kind of the, the transition phase you guys are in. So give me some thoughts about what that starts to look like for you guys. Well, I would say we've past a key milestone on that transition phase already that we announced that since the beginning of the year we are a profitable company so even at the scale we are today it's the niche is big enough to support the size the scale we are we move over a billion pounds every single month on behalf of our customers uh, in now a profitable way but it's really just scratching the surface of what we can do the uh, we estimate that the fees charged by banks in the global FX market are over $200 billion a year, pounds a year. Um, an enormous market. Um, and we're just scratching the surface of what's possible. Yeah. And I mean, to add to, to what Steve said, so, you know, in the UK, which is our biggest market, we have 10% market share and that's still tiny. And, you know, we're just getting started. And that's our biggest market. So if you look at other markets where, you know, in Singapore, we just opened an office and we're just getting started there. Same in, in Japan, in New Zealand, in Hong Kong. Um, and so, you know, for us, it's just the beginning. And, you know, it seems like big numbers, but, at the, you know, for us, it's just the beginning of the journey. I guess as you scale out that model more and more, you take experiences from where you've been in the past. And we talked before about that uh, cost-income ratio benefit that you guys have got from being a greenfield platform. You guys have built new, you've proven profitability in a market and now can start to take that elsewhere. Because I, I, I hear a lot of cynicism from the old world of bankers. It's like, oh, it's it, it's just uh, it's just netting and, and notional pooling. And it's like, no, there's, there's something else going on here and I think people underestimate some of the cleverness in terms of uh, the both the cost reduction side and some other stuff that's probably secret source but I know very little about remittances and global FX but I was doing some reading this morning uh, and I, I saw a stat that forex markets moved five trillion a day between currencies the big banks that seems you know that dwarfs the remittance world into a into a tiny amount like uh, and what I'm trying to get my head around is if the big banks then decide that they're going to take you on, does not having that liquidity pool and the fact that they're moving trillions a day not give them an advantage in, in competition? Or how do you defend against that? Well, it's very different markets, right? So on those volumes, FX is a very efficient market. But what's happened is for consumers, they've been overlooked and sort of overcharged for a long time. And banks haven't been well positioned to serve them either at a reasonable price point. So all the compliance and, and all that that you have to go through for, for payments uh, is not factored in there. So it's a very different market. And as, as we continue kind of servicing more customers, this engine just kind of gets better and better as well, which is very exciting. It almost plays into this narrative we often come back to of the move from commodity financial products to intelligent services. That in the end, the 
you know, it may be in a most a super efficient market, but actually how you end up getting that service to end customers makes a big deal, whether it's the brand and the trust or the APIs or the interface or whatever it, whatever it is you're building. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, on the customer experience, I think, you know, from, uh, so I used to, um, I'm from Paris and I came to the UK to study. And when I had to send money with my bank internationally, uh, you know, eight years ago, it was incredibly painful. And I actually had to literally go to the cash point at NatWest, take out the money and put it into my account because that was cheaper than doing an international transfer. And so, you know, today I can go and transferize and actually from sending money from Europe to GBP, you know, it can be almost instant. So it can take 25 seconds. And that is for us a huge advantage versus a bank that, you know, it will go through two, three different corresponding banks. And at the end, you know, you don't actually know how much money is going to come out on the other side. But of course, Simon's friends, the cryptocurrency community will say, well, this is all going to go away because Bitcoin, you know, is an international global payments uh, uh, set up already no well i think you and i have talked about uh the the consumer experience being a bit of an issue there <laughs> but how do you guys see you know do you have a view on cryptocurrencies or this is this off in the distance well transfers doesn't do cryptocurrencies at all um my, my personal view on it is it's very exciting as everything happened on ethereum and smart contracts is very exciting and and perhaps there's something around is providing a protocol that's sort of internet native for payments, something there. But at the end of the day, you have to get the money out, right, to actually spend it. It's an on-off ramp. And uh, the on-off ramp, that's what we do, right? We get you on and off in two different currencies very efficiently. And that's something that's not going to go away, I think. And that I think something like the Interledger protocol would sit in the middle of that really neatly in, in terms of like, uh, you, it's nice that you've got these protocols out there. It's nice that you've got people building those cryptocurrencies, but solving a real problem for consumers is always going to be needed. And whatever the infrastructure is, doesn't matter to, to a certain degree. But I'm interested in, you know, does that change for you guys? Well, but I want to then sort of build on that and Helena, let's talk product. Like we've, everyone's been talking infrastructure. We've been talking, you know, uh, trillions in in pools. How does Transferwise build product? How do you how do you create that? Sure. So we're we are a mission driven company, and we really build our product based off of that. So we've talked a lot about transparency, of course. So, you know, we mentioned how we always show our fees up front. We try to show our delivery times up front, making as much information up front to the customer, uh, while still remaining a super simple product. You know, our customers are from all over the world. Um, we need to make sure that what we build is an international service that lots of people can understand it and that it is accessible to lots of different people. Yeah. And do you use jobs to be done frameworks or prototypes? So how do you how do you get from someone has a great idea to uh, the first few customers seeing it to it being rolled out to everyone? Yeah, so yeah, we are super customer centric and the way that we do that, first we have a huge um, customer support team and we do value that and take that into account when building new products, when thinking about things that we can improve. Then um, on the design side and with our, we have a researcher here as well, who we use to do user testing. We talk to a lot of customers, again, around the world. Uh, luckily here in London, you have people who are moving to London who are from everywhere, so you can do a lot of user interviews just here in London. And you're not just talking to Brits, but you're talking to people from France, people from Brazil, so that's awesome. So then we do user testing. From there, we go on to prototyping. 
um, working super closely with our front-end devs um, to get that out there. And then after that, we do a lot of A-B testing here. We are pretty data-driven in that sense. So you go from, uh, from interacting with customers, pulling those ideas, interviewing is there any kind of formalization of that or how do you structure how do you know whether you're you're doing a good job or not yeah that that is always the challenge especially in a data-driven company where we have to kind of quantify how this is better than that uh, making sure that we're not just polishing but actually improving the product for our customers so now um, on the product UX side we're introducing things like UX metrics to really understand how a product is better, but then also complementing that with A-B testing. So, you know, each of our teams have different KPIs that we look at. For example, my team, where we focus on new customer experiences, we look at conversion as our KPI. So after we've talked to customers and prototyped and done all of that, we make sure that the outcome is actually legit and has improved things for our customers and for our KPIs. So how many people work in product design versus banking versus tech in the company? I, I don't really have any any understanding of the makeup, I guess, of TransferWise. So the design team is 18 people, including research and copy, and brand and product. So that is brand, product, copy, and research. Wow. Against some banks with absolutely hundreds of people in group design, the fact that uh, 18 people can achieve so much is quite quite amazing. And as you're building products as well, like I'm, I know you guys have a regulated position. There is governance frameworks that you'll be needing to be used. But I'm guessing um, that the KPIs can can drive through those culturally. How do you how do you balance ensuring that the voices of compliance are baked into the product design itself without compromising on the user experience? Because my experience working in a bank has kind of been the opposite in that you, you're about to go live, somebody from compliance goes, hey, you've missed this thing, and then they compromise the, the design of the product. How do you guys think about those sorts of challenges? I think that can definitely be a challenge with a lot of financial companies, but the way that we do it here is that we try to make sure that legal and compliance are aware of whatever ideas we have right from the beginning. So right away we um, bring them into our meetings. Um, of course, we do Slack here, so they're always kind of aware of the conversation that's happening. So we make sure never to design ahead of what compliance um, thinks it's okay. But of course, there's always back and forth, and we try not to design for regulation, but for our customers. That's a good mantra. What about the the rest of the company? How big's tech? How big's banking? So I think we're we're over seven hundred people uh, company wide now. Um, our biggest office is in in Tallinn in Estonia, but we have nine offices around the world. Second biggest is our headquarters here in London, um, and yeah, the the team structure. I think it's it's about one hundred and twenty in product and marketing, um, quite a lot of customer support and op- some in operations. Um, banking team we're quite small actually <laughs> we're very small we're small and perfectly formed yeah yeah very good size <laughs> but that's that's something i think you see in a lot of fintechs so we hear from a lot of ex-bankers or people who want to become ex-bankers of like i'd love to jump over and to to work in fintech mm-hmm. but actually the number of bankers and the type of people uh, seem very specialist can do things from first principles and very few actually and far between 
I think the irony is in the banking team itself, for example, we don't actually have any ex-bankers. None of us are bankers. <laughs> so we're all people that worked, um, so you know, consulting or other backgrounds, and then we just had a very strong interest. Um, so we, I think, we were hired more for a type of person rather than the background that you have or the experience necessarily in banking that you have. I'm guessing the same is true for yourselves. Um, if it's not stopped me, but I'm curious as to what your experiences are coming into the world of financial services and how you'd go about solving some of the challenges and some of the cultural norms that a banker tells you, hey, it has to be done this way. Can, do you have any examples of where that might have happened or any examples of things that you expected to be a certain way and turned out to be a different way? I don't know if that's the case. I think, yeah, joining the world of financial services, you, you start and you talk to banks and you think, why on earth is this done this way? But I think that is also a huge advantage. I think half the reason why Transwise is where it is today is because when Christo and Tarvet founded the company they had a lot of experience in in the world of financial services but not being bankers themselves right so it allows you to challenge everything if someone says you know this is the way uh, it should be done if that doesn't necessarily make sense for our customers it gives you a very good platform to push back on and say well well why can we do it this way instead and i think what we found is a lot of the banks we work with are very open to ideas um, and open suggestions sometimes it's not always possible internal reasons regulatory reasons whatever it might be um but but i think we work with some really awesome partners who have come on leaps and bounds and really helped deliver a fantastic experience to our customers i'd also add to that that working in product in fintech or in financial services you do have to go to first principles you have to understand the compliance the kyc all of that stuff to a, a much greater extent than you actually maybe want to but without having that really thorough understanding then you you have a really high risk of building the wrong things or not meeting the needs of the company my observation is that smaller companies tend to have people that go have more people in them that go to first principles and explore the breadth and depth of what it means to be in financial services whereas the larger organizations tend to have a specialist for this bit a specialist for that bit and then they have the issue of trying to get everybody to understand what needs to be done and disagreeing with each other from different perspectives and i guess um as a as any company that's organized um with people who are coming and looking at financial services with a fresh eyes you're free of that cultural tyranny of the way it was always done before wow the soapbox came out now <laughs> but it but it but it is it's cultural tyranny it's not like management tyranny i don't think there's anybody trying to do anything badly inside banks it's just the culture of the way it's always been done ex-bankers like ex-smokers you know they're the, the it just never goes away does it no but i do think it's a fair point uh, it does happen in all companies that you establish a way of working and you become comfortable with that sort of framework you're operating in and there are some assumptions being made and then you got, got to be really mindful of those and ready to challenge them once they're no longer helpful. Mm. How do you guys organize yourself from a management perspective? Damn, I was going to ask that question. <laughs> like, is this the Spotify governance model we're talking about? And is this um, lots of small teams? Is it OKRs? Do you have OKRs? And that kind of... I don't know what OKR is. <laughs> so I guess the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, we don't really have OKRs, but the way that we do work is that we're all based, we're all in autonomous teams. So each team has a lot of decision-making power and we all feel kind of empowered and responsible for the, um, for the progress of the company. Um, uh, we don't have things like OKRs, but what we do is um, each quarter, each team gets together, they make a plan for what the next quarter 
um, what their plans are for the next quarter, and then they invite the company um, and specific feedback coaches to say, hey, this is what I think about your plan, this is the feedback that I have for it, this is how you can move forward. So how big are those teams, those autonomous teams? So um, it can really depend on the teams, right? So some teams will be literally five people, some teams might be bigger. Uh, but so from my personal experience, when I joined, I joined the currencies team, and we were working basically across all the regions. And after a while, it got too big, so we said, okay, let's start regionalizing. And so you, know, you had an Asia team, now you have a Latin America team, a Middle East and Africa team. Um, and now you know we have a UK team, Europe team, US team. Um, and so you start kind of breaking it up because it doesn't make sense to have too many people working on the same thing. Um, and it's easier for us to be more nimble and actually get things out faster when we have a smaller team like focusing on problems in a certain area. So how do you do communication across that? Because like as you're subdividing and subdividing, how do you maintain that that way of like making sure that if somebody's done something useful, you're aware of it, or if somebody's done something that's going against what you were going to do, that like ah. So I think as Helena mentioned earlier, so you know, we are very transparent internally as well. Um, so we have quarterly plannings, for example, and every team has to have a plan for the next quarter and a retro on the previous quarter. And you have to have a, like a long-term vision for the next two, three, four quarters. And that is very transparent. Anyone in Transwise can look at those plans, can comment on it and ask questions. And so there's this expectation of like, okay, I'm going to work on something that's going to impact another team. So I'm going to obviously tell them about it and make sure that they are happy with it. And I think there's a lot of very open and honest. And, and that, I guess, gets published so that when you do come out with that plan you've got, or somebody else comes out with that plan, you've got the opportunity to go, hang on, that's going to affect me. And we see, you know, challenges from people who joined the company a week ago two weeks ago saying well hang on a minute why are we doing this sometimes a very very fair challenge a new set of eyes um and that transparency really comes through sometimes quite brutally sometimes <laughs> slightly less so but um it's a really good process to to make sure everyone is kind of on the same page with what are the key steps in the next one two three quarters that these various autonomous teams are taking without having you know, risk committees, management committees, and all this, all these uh, things that you're management set, tyranny. You'll set off Simon's PTSD if you're not careful. <laughs> but but it's not a it's not an academic question. We talk to lots of you know banks around the world, and a lot of them are working at looking at this. How do I transform my command and control you know structure into into agile at scale? How do we really run this thing? And, you know, it's, that's a difficult transformation if you've already got, you're the boss and you've got five people working for you and they've got 10 people working for you and, you know, all the way down. I guess it's, uh, it's a very different, very different from uh, building from scratch. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, for us, it's very strong to, to feel very empowered. So you join as an individual and, you know, you get given responsibility to kind of I don't know, manage certain things for customers. And I think it's really great to not have to, always go to someone to ask for permission, ask for okay, because it actually slows you down a lot as well to constantly have to wait for someone to approve uh, everything. Yeah, the hiring principle is, is well, kind of, it's quite straightforward. It's, it's hire smart people and trust them. You know, bring in the right people and trust them to do what's right. Yes, there may be little slip ups from time to time. Uh, got quite a good, strong culture of doing public retros when that happens. So, you know, what went wrong, what did we learn? Uh, but it's it's creating a culture where it is it's okay to to fail sometimes as long as we take the learnings from that and move forwards 
it's the only way you can keep moving fast. The amount of times I've heard it's okay to fail where actually it really isn't um, inside <laughs> banks. Um, I, I guess uh, the term failure still scares a, a lot of organizations. So they go for that culture of false certainty where like, if we just throw enough people and money at this thing, then it can't possibly fail. It just becomes a zombie project that never goes anywhere. Uh, I'm not bitter, not even slightly. Uh, <laughs> well, on that positive note that Simon managed to turn into a negative mode, yeah. I, th- I think we're gonna have to take Simon off for a, for a bit of a coffee and a venting session uh, after this. Um, can I thank you guys for, for having you having us into your office? It's been really great to talk. And I didn't think we'd we'd get into the the kind of workings of how TransferWise works at scale as a as a as a topic. And that was yeah, really interesting to me personally. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, so Eric, Helena, Jeremy, Steve, where can people find out about you? And of course, where can they find out about TransferWise in general? Sorry. Twitter so go ahead you can go to transferwise.com to um, obviously use transferwise we also have an iOS app and an Android app and you can find me on Twitter at Helena Jar (laughs) (laughs) nice (laughs) Um, find me on Twitter 321k 321k how did that come about uh, it's lead speak for Eric, if anyone remembers that. Lead speak. I do remember. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> a teenager's man. It's just memory. Things about you, Eric. <laughs> I don't have Twitter. Wow. I'm sorry. So you can't find me, I'm afraid. So they can send a, a letter to you, I guess? Right, write a letter to our office and I'll, I'll, I'll write you one back. Steve, the international man of mystery. <laughs> Uh, I'm afraid same here, so you can find me on LinkedIn, you know, but uh, no Twitter for me. Perfect. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers. Can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, subscribe to our podcast, review us on iTunes. We love reading those reviews. Oh, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. That's all for now. See you next week.